Welcome to Woke and Wired, a new conversation about expanded consciousness and entrepreneurship. We are here to shift the paradigm of business and marketing and social media in this digital age of infinite possibility and bridge our inner technology, our intuition with outer technology through rituals, personal development tools, conscious business practices, spiritual tools, and the magical tool of social media. I am your host, Xenia, storyteller, conscious social media teacher, speaker, and a multidimensional traveler. Welcome to the new paradigm. Welcome back to Woken Wired. I am your host, Xenia. As you may notice, this episode is coming out later than usual. I was really called to create conversation that is relevant to what's happening in the world, the huge anti-racism movement that's rising. And my guest this week is Melissa Hall, who is a brand strategist, a speaker, an educator. And this episode is both an interview as well as it is a collaborative conversation on how to create a more inclusive future that stands on the value of non-performative allyship. We talk about making fashion and wellness more inclusive. And very importantly, Melissa shares her own personal experience being a Black woman in wellness and in fashion. And I think change is going to come from us having these one-on-one human conversations and then educating ourselves. Well, actually educating ourselves before we have those conversations and then continue to educate ourselves and then continue to take action so that we can actually create lasting change. We get into all of this in the episode and I really encourage you to stick through the end because it really builds as we speak and gets very rich in the mindset that can be very supportive in us all to move forward. We start a conversation by talking about branding and how to elevate your brand because that's something that Melissa does professionally. She has been a teacher at the Fashion Institute of Technology for over a decade and she's also the founder of the Emerging Designer, a network for designers and creative professionals. We talk about the future of branding, the future of fashion, hint it includes mindfulness, as well as sustainability as well as some actions that you can take now if you are called to elevate your brand. Before we get into this conversation, one more thing I want to note that has been coming through me really strongly is this idea that right now is the time that we're made for. All our spiritual practices, our consciousness practices, all of this has been preparing for us to stand in our power and use our voices for good. I'm not claiming to have answers to how it's going to be done, but I also want to remind you that right now is the time to shine your gifts, to share your message, to show up in your fullest instead of hiding in the fear of getting something wrong. Because we are going to mess up. We are going to get this wrong. No one has the answers. This is the first time in history we are in this place. So I really encourage you, maybe even go through some previous episodes And be reminded that the unique medicine that you carry within you, that you are passionate about, that you're called to share with the world is needed now more than ever. Okay, that's it for now. And I'm excited to introduce Melissa Hall to you. All right, Melissa, uh, I'm so excited to have you on Woken Wired. It feels more timely than ever. We met at a cacao circle and then kept crossing paths on social media. And then we actually connected on the phone when the pandemic hit. And now we're having this conversation when lots is unfolding in the society. Lots of positive change is coming from the way that I feel it. And I'm excited to have you on Woken Wired. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm excited to chat with you today. So let's start with your Instagram bio. 
you have, you're like me, you have several Instagram accounts, but the one that seems to be the personal one is Melissa Hall NY. And it says consultant and coach entrepreneur. I help entrepreneurs gain brand clarity and embrace wellness teaching at FIT NYC, the emerging designer eat with Melissa future double cancer survivor go you and there's a little link to download something on your site so talk to me about what is it that you actually do and what feels the most alive in your experience these days so i tell people i help others in business and in health and for about 10 years now i've been teaching entrepreneurs at fit fashion institute of technology and I really, over the past year, really focused on brand building and teaching people the fundamentals to grow their business because I found that people just got lost in who they are, what they want to communicate, and how they want to grow their business. So really getting clear on that because it's all about foundation. And part of that, what I realized through listening to my community and also my own health challenges, being a future two-time cancer survivor, is that it really starts with wellness. And I don't have a degree in nutrition or in any you know particular modality, but I have learned so much. And I really just get so exciting combining, you know, the business part of growing oneself and one's brand in addition to, you know, talking about wellness and planting seeds for people, whether it's on my Eat With Melissa account or now the curriculum that I'm creating and constantly revising and update when I'm teaching entrepreneurs or when I run a workshop through my consulting agency. So those are the two things, brand building and wellness, particularly food that really get me excited and get me up every day. You know, I really think this is the future place where fashion and wellness and branding and business and all these things coexist because you're right, without feeling like the most optimal and radiant and energized human that's eating foods that actually nourish our bodies, we can't be our at our full potential as entrepreneurs, as creative as, as everything else. And one thing we share in common is that we, well, besides a lot of other things like cow, <laughs> one of those things is that we both come from the world of fashion and then have been led to go more into wellness and then bring some of those more holistic approaches to business into the business world. So how, what was your journey going from fashion into wellness and how did you get into fashion in the first place? And where do you see it all going? Because from what I'm noticing is it's such a huge movement right now of fashion people forced by the pandemic and beyond moving more into wellness or adapting more socially responsible and environmentally friendly practices. What do you see happening there and what was your personal journey in it? Okay. So my personal journey started, gosh, about 13 years ago when I moved from Chicago to New York. And I started school at Parsons, the new school for design, and I um, started in their AAS fashion design program. I graduated from there and I didn't work in design. I was never a fashion designer, but I started doing all of these things, selling at trade shows, styling, helping out at fashion week, um, doing marketing and branding, freelance, even event management. And as I spoke to more and more designers, I realized that no one really knew how to market or position themselves. They didn't understand the brand basics. So I created a platform called The Emerging Designer, which is a resource for designers and creative professionals, profiling designers, offering you know open calls, contests, scholarships, grants, awards, anything to help them grow their business. And that's really how I got into fashion. So I really paved my own way because there wasn't anything really like this. You know, I started in 2012. And I just navigated into teaching a few years, like a year before in 2011. So I've been teaching at FIT, gosh, 
for almost 10 years now, I think. And it's been beautiful because I really have been able to work with private clients through the Emerging Designer and also entrepreneurs at FIT. And, you know, all of this has just been such a learning process on teaching me how to get better, how to, how to teach better, how to understand what an entrepreneur needs. And at the same time I was focusing on brand, I was also listening to entrepreneurs say, I'm so tired. I'm broke. I'm putting my savings into my business. I have to close my business. I'm tired. There are all these things that people are doing just to try to keep up with the industry. And, you know, that clicked in my head. And at the same time, I, you know, I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2016. So the fusion of, you know, my new health challenge combined with my communities was like, okay, something has to change. And this is how we need to, or how I need to talk about business. And just as word got out that I I was going through health challenges and I expanded my community into more of the wellness space. I started working with wellness entrepreneurs. I work with two acupuncturists, some coaches, you know, a variety of different types of fashion, lifestyle, and wellness businesses. But the goal is really to merge the two. And that was like, you know, from fashion to wellness. And I think the future of fashion is this it's really on making people understand three principles, which I have started to talk about in all my conversations last year. And that is mindfulness, sustainability, and diversity. And that couldn't be more true today. I think people really need to incorporate those three pillars into the business in addition to whatever pillars their brand needs. And so that's something I focus on. And I also want people, and I think the fashion industry is realizing this, there aren't any guards anymore. You know, I think there used to be old guards and new guards. And, you know, one could, one was learning or one had a new point of view that shook up the system. Now it's a free for all. And I think the most important and mindful thing for entrepreneurs and businesses to understand is they have the opportunity to break away from the tradition because it's not serving them, it's not serving the environment, it's not serving the health, it's not serving their business, and figure out their own journey. And while they're doing that, really focus on the fundamentals that can help a business thrive, both in, you know, looking at wellness and looking at, you know, business 101, but, you know, craft their own journey. So I think that is really what the future of fashion is. And I think a lot of people are really going to be relieved if they are able to embrace that because the system didn't work for them. So that is the long answer. (laughs) So there's so much we could get into with each of those three points, but I want to divert for a moment and talk about brand. So you work with entrepreneurs to help them gain clarity on their brand. And from my experience, I actually wrote my thesis about 10 years ago, actually 15 years ago or so. (laughs) I wrote a thesis about naming and branding. And I remember back then, branding was a completely different thing. When I spoke about branding, it was all about the graphic design of it, the colors, the uniformity of the visual elements. It wasn't so much about the feeling or about the ethics or the values behind it. And it's interesting to see how it's changed so much. And one of the things that Amy Jo Martin, who I've worked with, who has been on this podcast, I took her bootcamp mastermind. She talks about, you don't create a brand, you are your brand. So that's one of the perspectives. And a lot of things with the rise of social media has have been shifting towards that of instead of curating this thing and fabricating this thing, the more authentic you are, the more vulnerable you are, the more you share your brand. And in my personal opinion, I think that is going to be shifting because of the way that I see it, we have gone from fabricated brands to super authentic brands that are f- super aligned with who are these people in real life. A lot of people are striving towards that, especially in wellness. 
to, I think it's going to step to not backwards, but to the side as we move forward, because we realized, whoa, we can't really be exposing all of ourselves out there, not just for privacy reasons, but also for like emotional and spiritual reasons. There's no reason for us to be fully out there. We can curate aspects of our values and what we want to share with the world through what I see as digital avatars, kind of grime style. That's how I see the future. But that, that's just my opinion. I'm curious, how do you think about brands? And when you take on a new client, what process do you walk them through? And what are the most important things you look at? Well, one, I do agree with you of, uh, you know, this idea of perhaps not sharing all. And I've always said to entrepreneurs, because people are on different ends of the spectrum, how much do I share? I don't want to be the face behind, you know, the brand. And I encourage them to find what feels comfortable for them to tell the story in the most authentic way, but have content and have areas of your life and of your story that are sacred that other people don't get to see. And I think that finds a balance. When I work with designers, I really take people on first, people that really want to do the work, you know, that, that they're they're going to show up, they're going to show up prepared, they're going to be professional, that it is a partnership, and not that they, you know, pay me financially. And, you know, I do the work for them, or I babysit them. So that's really important, because I have had the opposite of that, where it's just been a struggle. And then it's really starting from square one, most of the people I work with two different types of people, one who just really don't have any idea. And it's taking them through the 101s and educating them and breaking it down for them on what branding is, because, you know, there's so many facets that they really need to consider. And then the ones who have businesses, I bring them back to foundation, I help them reconsider their perceptions of a particular area. So maybe the story that they're trying to tell, the identity or what the industry has tried to tell them. So really it's a marriage of strategy plus, you know, what they enjoy and love and the storytelling. And it does take time, but I think the people that really, again, are dedicated and want to explore and test and you know, dive deep within themselves and also for their company are the ones that really are build that foundation and, you know, have a jumping point to move into sales and marketing and PR. And it's beautiful to see that evolve. How important do you think clarity in branding is and what kind of outcomes have you seen from people getting serious about their branding? I think it is very important because whether it's a fashion market, the wellness space, every it's saturated market everywhere you turn. You know, entrepreneurship in some ways has become very easy from being able to access a Shopify or Squarespace, etc. And so it's not just standing out in the marketplace, but creating something people, you know, feel confident and good at and want to wake up every day and work on. And, you know, when people find that clarity, and, you know, have those that foundation, I see people, then, you know, it's not always, it's not always like the next day, right? But you know, they get sales, they are able to pitch, you know, investors, other people, they get press, and it just makes their voice more clear, which is exciting because I read a lot of business plans. I talk to a lot of people and sometimes it's like, I don't know what you do. Yes, you are a multi-hyphenate, but let's create the architecture around that. Let's figure out what you enjoy, what a consumer wants and will purchase and what's also going to make you money as well. So it's bringing that business acumen into the conversation as well, which is definitely challenging for a lot of people. But the more, you know, authentic that you can be with people and have them create their own parameters, um, the bigger the outcome. I love so much that you bring the idea of 
enjoying, what are you actually excited about and what, what do you enjoy doing as well as what is going to make money? Because like we have to be realistic and we also have to follow our zone of genius and what's going to get us excited to get out of bed every day. And branding can't be looked at outside of your business plan and every other component of your business. So it's that holistic approach to business that we started the conversation with. Absolutely. A hundred percent. So if someone, let me just give you a personal example. I'm in a place where I haven't really, my brands that I've created are very intuitive guided and seem to have come together just through divine, listening to the divine and just allowing whatever needs to come through, come through and the visions that I would receive in terms of the graphics on top of it and the feel. And I've never really hired a brand strategist or sat down to create like a a brand book or slogan. It just comes to me and through me. And now I'm in a place where I'm looking at streamlining all the different offerings I have and the different brands I've created into something that actually is a lot more elevated and streamlined and sleek and curated. And I have a feeling that I'm not the only one. And part of it is a process of purging of what's not working. And that's what I've been going through for the past few months. Part of it is just stepping up my game and some other areas of my business. So for someone who is like, okay, all of this that Melissa is talking about sounds great. And I see the importance of it. But what are some initial questions I can sit with maybe to start a Pinterest board or to start taking small actions around how I communicate on social media? What would you say are the first and most impactful steps that anyone can take to really start critically looking at how they can elevate their brand? Great question. One thing I just want to throw in here, I do in my Instagram account have a link to a free download that is seven um, questions every entrepreneur should ask themselves. And this is really the pre-work to the branding because it focuses on, you know, what's your why? So that's, you know, a, a Simon Sinek, but it is a universal question. Why are you doing this from a business perspective and a personal perspective? And I think as you grow and scale, you know, what, what type of life do you want to live and lead? You know, a lot of people are like, am I going to stay in New York? Am I going to leave? Do I want a family? Do I want to switch jobs? You know, so where do you see yourself in the future? And then I think it's looking at all of your assets or your multi-hyphenate, you know, categories that you step into and saying, what is the architecture and what is the bigger story that you can communicate and want to communicate? And in what ways are you going to elevate yourself? You know, if that is a goal of yours. So really, um, I always say put pen to paper because a lot of times we have it in our head and we, we think we know how to get there, but now it's like really mapping out that blueprint and, and then putting time around it. Right. And, you know, there are people, especially in, I'll say the spiritual world, they're like time trans, you know, time is not a thing, but okay, I'm going to bring you back and say time is a thing and hold yourself accountable. So if it is that new website or a new product or a service offering or collaboration or what it is as part of, you know, taking that business next to the next level is what you know, what's your timeline? Do you need people to hold you accountable? What resources do you need? Um, what financially do you need? These are really the seven questions, um, or most of them. And sit with that, you know, sit with that, look at it. And what that's going to help you do is see the big picture, but also set you up for success. I look at a lot of fashion designers and they have limited funds and it costs so a lot of money and a lot of time and financial investment to start a fashion business, whether they have four products or 10 or 12, because you have to get samples made. You have to, you know, your sizing, are you going to cut product? Are you going to try to get orders first? There, there's so many things to, you know, to get that sale. 
the whole process. And along the way, you have to make an investment, not just in those raw materials, but in vendors, in a website, in a photo shoot. And if you aren't honest with yourself on what you need to help you get there, then you're going to, in a way, like sabotage your success. I hate to say that, but you know, that's going to have implications on, you know, your content strategy or, you know, what your website looks like, or, or, you know, you may not have an area of expertise yet in an area, something like sales, and perhaps you need to hire a sales consultant or a sales rep or someone to get you where you need to be. So I, you know, I recommend those foundational questions to, you know, throw it out on the table as you are putting your blueprint together. Yes. And what that makes me think about too, is there's time and space for really bootstrapping. I can't tell you how many times in my life I've created my own websites and created my own logos and went on creativemarket.com to download graphic design elements and, you know, like completely bootstrap things and have been really happy with the outcome. But on the other hand, there's also been situations where I've really made big decisions to make big investments, whether that's into coaching or photography or design. And each time I do, something energetically shifts in the way that I perceive my business, in the way that I stand in my worth, in the way that I am confident talking about my offerings. And I think there's not one right way to do this. And there's a fine line between being smart about those investments and taking risks and just taking unnecessary risks. And it's up for each one of us to decide. But there's something about really stepping out of our comfort zones to take on those bigger investments, kind of energetically speaking with the source, with the universe, and claiming how invested we are into a project so that then the universe can match that. Do you know what I mean? Have you had the experience? Yeah, absolutely. I, I've had it for myself. And I also, you know, talk to my clients about this. It's it's really leveling up, right? So you, you've created your proof of concept, you have traction, and like, now you see yourself, right? You, you perhaps are an expert of your feet in your field, or you've had sales or whatever, you've hit a milestone. And now you're like, okay, I need to expand. And you realize, you know, you need to, you can't do it all by yourself. And so with that investment and with that energy and that expertise from others, you you not only see yourself in a different light because you're bringing on board someone part-time, one-time, et cetera. But then, you know, you, any type of invest, investment ideally leads to a stronger outcome. So I think this idea of, you know, realizing that, that there will be a point that you have to level up, well, whether that will be a hire, whether that will be, you know, vendors, et cetera. And, and I think that's part of the process as well. And again, getting that foundation from the start, those business principles, um, your brand fundamentals is going to help you level up quicker. And it's also going to help you step into leadership more because you know that at some point it's coming. Mm, yes, I have the Sierra song playing in my head. Love, love. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> love it. So you, one of the points, Melissa, you brought up is sell, sales and selling. And what I'm really excited to chat about is this Instagram post that you shared a few days ago. You talk about how, here's the thing you say, quote, here's the thing, I'm bad at selling. Wait, there's a self-limiting belief. So let me reframe that. Selling is not something I enjoy, but it is something I will work on getting better at doing. End quote. This is something we actually spoke about on the phone a few weeks ago or however long. I'm not even sure where we are in the <laughs> space right now. Uh, but this seems like such a, a big mindset shift that I'm sure is also leading to energetic shift. Tell me, you know, how did you arrive there? And perhaps 
we can speak about that and get then get back to the context of this whole post and the point you're making there. Absolutely. Um, what I said in my post, you know, for for as long as I can remember, selling myself is something that I just didn't feel comfortable with. And there are, you know, if I dig deep, 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 you know, there are reasons for that. Sometimes I think it's especially with the pandemic, projecting, you know, other feelings of other people onto myself, like people shouldn't be selling, people are dying, people don't have money, and internalizing that. And then just the idea of, for some reason, selling just seemed icky to me. And a lot of people feel that way. But I, I think I need to continue to practice reframing, you know, selling for myself, what selling means, and really understand that I'm providing value to people because I'm an educator. I've been teaching for over a decade. I've been coaching. I'm doing what I do professionally, you know, for a long time. And before, before I you know, being an entrepreneur, I worked in advertising in Chicago. So I've been in the business a long time, but it's just not something that I did. But I always had the answer or a tool or a resource. And um, I just was too reserved. And now I just, you know, proclaim that's that's not going to be the case. You know, I need to run a business. I need to survive. I need to overcome, you know, this idea that selling is not for me. There's so much to that. And I'm so with you at the bottom, I think with of any discomfort of selling is lots of subconscious beliefs. And I'm very committed to untangling that both for myself and for my community. And I have a whole episode, maybe even a series of episodes coming out with my fiance, Eric, who is a sales expert. And who's just taught me so much over the years. And I'm excited to share that with everyone to just empower even more liberation around this topic. And yes, of course, it's different during the pandemic. And it's also different now during the Black Lives Matter movement becoming such a huge topic globally and especially in the US. And so in your post, I'm going to link to this in the show notes because this is so important. You say black women have to work insanely hard to get noticed. My day-to-day activities as an entrepreneur need to be 110%. Blackout Tuesday sparked something in me and I need to get comfortable with the discomfort. I now feel more liberated than ever. Talk us through what, how all of this unraveled and how are you excited to take action on this and what kind of changes have you already been sensing? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the first slide or the second slide uh, talking about how Black women have to work extremely hard, harder, that's just a given. And I think that's a sentiment, not just only Black women, Black men, minorities, people of color, non-white. It was just something I grew up with. And just knowing that to be acknowledged, to be recognized, you just have to put that in. And that's perhaps a universal truth, spoken or unspoken. And, you know, it was interesting. I am in cancer treatment now. I am going through chemotherapy. And in addition to coronavirus and what's been going on with Black Lives Matter, police, killings, everything, you know, I I definitely have to sign off because it will just be even heavier on my body. And I I woke up on the following on Wednesday after Blackout Tuesday. And um, all of my peers, black entrepreneurs, they're like, I grew so many followers and business. And I was like getting ready to strategize how I could build my Instagram following. And I mean, people were like shooting up. I gained 1200 followers in a day. I am sold out a product. And I was like, that is awesome. And then I was like, let me just look at my numbers. And I was like, oh, wow, nothing really happened. And it's not even a form of jealousy or anything. It's just an observation. And I was like, you know, and then a little selfishly, I was like, wow, if any time were a time to promote a black entrepreneur, it would be now. And on three of my 
properties, not one thing had been said. And I'm like, I know I do the work and I know I help a lot of people. And I, and I really found it interesting. And what sparked something in me was like, it was, it was just like, Melissa, you got to get over it. People aren't really going to go to bat for you unless you shout it and shout it for yourself. And in a way, that was a, that was a testament. And, you know, I have clients and they are lovely to me and they show me gratitude. So again, this is not a knock at anyone, but it was just more of a generalization. And it was like, you know what? Don't feel sorry for your gifts. Don't feel sorry or guilt for your value or this exchange, which is we call money and just, promote and show your value. And I was like, put a stake in the ground and was like, you know what, I'm leaving all of that, those beliefs, I'm putting them into the compost bin and letting them, you know, come back as something good into the universe. And I'm sharing my gifts. And so I you know, got a couple sales. I After I posted that, a lot of people you know, I wasn't looking for this, but they did share and repost messages about me. I got a couple business inquiries, you know, which is all great. But again, I really just was like, Melissa, you really need to control this unapologetically. And whatever, you know, those projections that you had from other people, like, oh my gosh, how can you sell or selling is X, Y, and Z. Again, you have to throw that away. And I think a form of sales and offering your value or not think it is, it's a, it's a form of your leadership and it's stepping up and saying, you have something valuable to offer that can impact your business. It can impact your personal life. It can impact your health. And so it's the same thing I tell my clients, you guys have gifts, please share them. So I need to also follow my own recommendations. So that was really, you know, the spark and the story behind it. So what we're talking about is creating a long term change in an anti racist, united world, right? And the thing that I'm thinking about very passionately right now, and that I would love to hear your perspective on is actually related to this article also that I wrote this morning by Trinity Muzon, who is the founder or co-founder of Gold, the turmeric product. It's an article named, this is a very strange time to be a black owned business on HuffPost. I'm going to link to it in the show notes. And what I got from it is, and beyond it as well, is that there's a lot of entrepreneurs and businesses all of a sudden shouting from the rooftops about all these black owned businesses and supporting them like crazy. And on the one hand, it's wonderful that businesses that never got this kind of exposure. And like you said, had to work so much harder to get any exposure are suddenly getting exposure. And like you, Melissa, I've seen some accounts of black women entrepreneurs grow by a million in a week. I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. And Black women who teach anti-racism workshops and inclusivity workshops, they are just doing, their businesses are doing so well. And on the one hand, that all is wonderful. And on the other hand, the concern that I see with it is actually encapsulated in this quote that Andrea Renee J on Instagram shared. She said, don't deem me trustworthy simply because I am a Black woman. And it leads me to such an important point that I wouldn't have any white person on my podcast just because they're white. I wouldn't have any Latin person on my podcast just because I wanted to look more inclusive. And in the same vein, I wouldn't have any black person on my podcast just to include black voices. So I, and you know, I'm not coming here with any answers. I'm coming with questions is I think creating long-term change will involve creating those, this kind of fellowship and allyship with people of all different colors and and black voices and all people of color based on common values and common vision. That's not just the anti-racism and the social change we want to see in the world, but also beyond that, because otherwise it seems very short lived to me. And once this wave passes, like no one's going to be screaming from the rooftops about those black owned businesses. So what comes up for you as I share this and what do you think is a way to move forward that is not superficial. So I read Trinity's article. I know Trinity and her founder, co-founder Issei and her partner, 
very well. They are two amazing people. And it totally resonated. You know, I believe she, you know, called it performative. And and that's what you really have to wonder. Is it, you know, jumping on the bandwagon? Is it a one-off? Is it form of like tokenism? Or is it something that, you know, you as a human being and you as a business is committed to? And, you know, going back to what I said early on about the, the pillars for yourself and for business, sustainability, diversity, and mindfulness, right? Is that part of, you know, your brand pillars? I call it your secondary brand pillars because your, your primary is really what, you know, is the foundation of your business, but now we have to have these secondary pillars. And so some, you see some of, some businesses, especially in the fashion and wellness space, are putting out, you know, who they employ, you know, who's on their teams or what they're committed to. But I do think it really needs to, if that is the positioning that they want, it needs to be consistent. I'm currently writing about this and I don't know if I'm going to give a talk or write it as part of an ebook, but it's really this idea of looking at social media and event curation, the diversity in it. So the diversity in social media and event curation, because as a speaker and someone who also has produced events and attends events, um, and also is in my Instagram feed, just as everyone else is, pre-COVID, pre this new wave of Black Lives Matter, looking at what brands create and curate, whether it's for an event in their carousel ads, in their speaker lineup, or I say this, first nine, last nine, middle nine, what your, this is what your Instagram account says about you. So the idea is you go to your first, you know, your most recent nine post. Is there any diversity? You kind of just scroll, 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 stop, and you go to the middle, and you go to the last. And that's very telling. It's telling when you look at who a brand is following, right? Are you putting Black Lives Matter up, but then you're following an all monolithic group of people, right? So, you know, that's something for social and event. I mean, far too often I've seen this happen in on on social and in person. And I'm like, how tone deaf are you? I even a couple years ago, this is about two or three years ago with a colleague in the fashion space. I said to her, I'm like, you know what we need to do? We need to create an event and have the best of the best. So, you know, stylists, brand strategists, CMOs, all different categories of the fashion industry and have what I will call general market topics, like how to grow your DTC direct-to-consumer brand using uh, brand ambassadors, how to launch successfully, you know, new photographers who are making waves, but have everyone a minority. But don't say that it is a minority conference. Have have nothing to do with race, just the future of fashion 2020. And let people observe for themselves because observation is powerful, right? Because this is what someone of color has to deal with every single day. It's in their face. And so I'm observing a lot and I'm eager to see because we have a really bad problem of like trying to put a band-aid on an issue through, you know, one month dedicated to, you know, black fashion designers or one, you know, this article highlighting them. But, you know, the beauty eventually, could we ever get this way, is to instead say 10 African American fashion designers you should know to 10 fashion designers, you know, right? There's a difference, but we, you know, we we need to categorize and classify because we are so separate. I'm getting full body goosebumps as you talk about (laughs) it. It's so resonant the way you're talking about it. It really is pointing to a bigger vision of unity. What if instead of checking the boxes of how many people of color you have at your conference, you just do what you just said and I think that's really profound and important. And 
I remember a couple of years ago, I was at a panel talk about people of color in wellness, specifically women, at co working space in Soho. And everyone on the panel was either, I think, Black and Latina and Asian. And they were talking about how excluded they feel from the world of wellness. And to my own ignorance, I knew nothing about it. I was living in my bubble and I was never exposed. To me, it was a, a complete shock to find out how excluded people of color feel from wellness. And I think what's happening now in the culture is so important and so pivotal. And I think it's so powerful that it's happening now. And I'm grateful that you have the voice that you have and you're using it the way you're using it. And you're sharing this vision because it's very important. Thank you. And a few other things I want to say just to build on that and build on your experience is, you know, I think part of this education, you know, there's macro and there's micro. And part of the micro is really understanding like what your peer, what your black peer goes through on a day-to-day basis. And so let's take, for example, the wellness space. I can't tell you how many times I've been to a yoga studio where I was the only black, you know, attendee. That seems weird to me in like a room of 30 people, you know, doing a restorative or doing a flow or at my gym as well. I know. So when you say weird, what thoughts go through your mind when that, when you're having that experience? Well, you know, honestly, I'm kind of numb and it, it's just, it's, common observation because it's so prevalent and it's a consistent it's that I it's just normal right and that's a really sad thing but I'm just so used to it it's it's been like that my whole life I mean I grew up in a white neighborhood you know in high school I was the only sprinter on the track team and you know just like you know things like that where you're like oh perhaps diversity until your world expands So just all of these little, being the only one is just so normal to me, though not right. At my gym, I actually have the app out before I open the door. And the reason is so I can right away show it to get scanned because two things I can tell you that have happened to me at gyms that I do pay a lot of money for to go to is when I get to the to check-in, without, this has happened several times, without having my barcode, it's more like, can I help you? Like, you don't have to be here versus like, oh, what's your last name? What's your phone number? Do you not have it? You know? So this idea already that you don't belong there. I've been in my gym before and I travel. So I have a like an all destination pass where people I've been scanned in, but I'm looking around because all gyms are different. And people were like, are you supposed to be here? Like, can I help you? And I'm like, uh, yeah, every single your <laughs> blueprint is different by like city and state. So if your locker room is on the third floor versus the basement, it's because, you know, that's why I'm confused. So I just have like, that's just a preventative measure. You know, I belong to this beautiful co-working space that I absolutely love. And I mean, I could tell you over 20 times that I have been asked, do you work here? Do you work here? Not, are you a member here? Like my white peers, but do you work here? I mean, I've even gotten asked like, hi, could I get water? And I'm like, I don't work here. So, you know, that's just like wellness 101 for me. And just last thing, and I probably could go on and on. I remember, I, you know, in 2012, 2013, I participated in a wellness conference. It was an outdoor conference. And to kick it off, uh, there was a 5K. So I ran it and, you know, I finished, but then I started crying and not because I could run a 5K, but at the time I was like, yes, I ran a 5K. But it was because there really was no diversity. I was like, well, I am in Brooklyn and surrounded white people. And I felt like I had exclusive access. And, you know, it that is just all of these experiences on a regular basis, on a weekly basis, a daily basis. I would say that's my story, but my story is very similar to so many, you know, Black women, Black Americans, Black men. So 
yeah, there's a lot. But I do think just being for people to really hear that and then, you know, also say, okay, I'm privileged, which that word has become such a bad thing. But actually, I think privilege can be a beautiful thing when you then act. I am the first person to always say, I am privileged. You know, you and I have sat in cacao together. And, you know, that is such a beautiful experience. But we've sat in cacao together at 11 a.m. on a Wednesday. And while people are working and hustling and we're in this glorious space, like opening our hearts, what a privilege that is, right? Um, so if you look at not beyond race, but like the gifts that you have, the privilege of education, the privilege of being able to go to the farmer's market, the privilege of having a community of support, of family close to you, whatever your privilege is. And by the way, I am working on a guide. It's called the privilege guide. So we can sit with ourselves and really, you know, throw out and put on the table what privilege we have so then we can take action on our gifts and what we can you know put out into the world but again going back to why i think it's important is because when you hear someone's story similar to let's say my cancer story similar to whatever story you know my ups and downs or anyone's ups and downs you can then you can react and you can look at yourself and see a new perspective. So I think that is really the beauty of what's going on right now. So from what I understand, there's two important things to remember as we move forward. One is educating ourselves on how we can actually take action and taking action. That's number two. And number three is what I found to be very profound in my personal experience is having conversations and just having very open, honest conversations with our friends of different colors, with people in our communities of different colors, because ultimately change happens. I think it starts on this human to human level, and then it ripples out. Absolutely. And I think, you know, having those conversations from a place of authenticity and, you know, that also that, you know, you've done the work and you've educated yourself, like, is really powerful too. You know, I always say, you don't go, you don't ask for a meeting, you know, to talk to a CFO or CMO or someone, a mentor without being prepared, right? Like, what are you bringing to the conversation and table for, and that respect, so someone then can open up to you and have that, you know, collaborative conversation. And I think, you know, looking at it from that perspective, too, is one way to, you know, strengthen relationships. Yes, to all of it. I have a question for you. Yeah. So my podcast is called Woke and Wired. And if you Google the word woke, Oxford Dictionary equates it to, let me just read it. Well, Google says alert to injustice in society, especially racism that's Google, then Oxford specifically links it to the African-American origin, perceived awareness concerning social justice and racial injustice. And, you know, it's been on my mind, especially in the past week, as Black Lives Matter rises, you know, is this appropriation. And appropriation is something that also has come up a lot in our cacao circles. You know, how can we respectfully pass on this tradition and share this tradition? The answer to me so far and to a lot of people in the community has been, as long as we're doing this with the right intention and respect, then it's not appropriation. And of course, people will have other opinions and, and that's fine. In the past week, I've gotten one DM on Instagram from actually a white person saying, please consider renaming your podcast. And then I actually had a black friend visiting me at the cabin over the weekend. And we had two days of conversations about all of this. And I asked her and she said, I don't see any problem with it whatsoever. I'm curious what your what your feel on this is. I personally don't have any, you know, I don't perceive anything negative. I think, you know, it's a continued opportunity to explain and storytell the name and, you know, what the goal is of your ventures and what you're doing when 
So when someone new comes to your site and the podcast and to your your business, they understand your intention. And sometimes you have to break it down from them from a dictionary to present day and you know what your why is. I get that there are certain words that for people are triggers, like the word tribe. Some it, some people hate it. Some people love it. Uh, it's part of, you know, in their conversations of their brand, et cetera. So I think me personally, again, I don't have any problem with it. But again, as you start to, as you continue to scale and grow, just, and you already do this, have that transparency. Mm, transparency. Yeah, releasing the need to be right and to defend or to protect anything and to just have a continued conversation. That's what I'm really committed to. And thank you for putting it together so eloquently. So as we wrap up, is there anything that I haven't asked you about that you feel called to share? I really think we had a great conversation, you know, from business to wellness to, you know, what's going on in the world today and really so much gratitude to you. I mean, yes, we first connected in Cacao Circle, but, you know, I've been following you for many years. And I even remember when I first learned about you and your heart-shaped bowl, you know, I was in year one of cancer treatment and just on a couch, like on Instagram in misery. And, you know, I learned about you. I learned about Trinity from gold. And, you know, you two were one of a few people in New York City. And I was like, oh my gosh, these, I love what, you know, they are doing and, you know, having the opportunity to meet you. And then even one day sit next to you, I was just like, ah, you know, pinch me. It's awesome to, you know, to connect, you know, online and offline and, you know, have have this friendship evolve. So thank you. All right, we stopped recording for a moment and then we continued the conversation. It was so good that we decided to continue recording for a few more minutes. Yeah, what I was about to say, and it just, not that it didn't come up, but, you know, I was saying that I am half Black, my father is black. My mother is Indian. You know, she was born in India. And, you know, for all of my life, you know, it's it being biracial, like weaving in between so many cultures from black culture to Indian culture to white America, you know, has its challenges. And it, to be honest, it's also had its benefits you know, different, there is colorism too. I mean, there's so much to go into, whether it's, you know, my skin tone, my facial features, having people have said, I knew you couldn't be all black, just, you know, by looking at you, I knew you were mixed with something or your nose, you know, or whatever their rationale for not considering me black. So, you know, that's one thing. But the interesting fact that I was actually going to tell you was that in my 10 years in fashion, let's say, I have been interviewed, I've spoken, I've lectured, etc. No one has ever brought up race to me. I don't think I could ever find an article that talks about me being a black woman in fashion. Or, and I don't know if it's because it didn't fit into their narrative. I didn't know if it's perhaps because I didn't push it or sell or position myself that way. I, I just found it very interesting. And really, this is the first time that I have spoken up about race vocally. Although, you know, I uh, do things, you know, in my work, not privately, but I just am. And so I don't need to share that, you know, with people, just how I live my life that makes me more black or not, or Indian or whatever that is. But I just found that interesting as well, because so many fashion designers have told me that, you know, unfortunately, they feel like they get pressed because it's a black story. And, you know, it's like, but I'm a, actually a very good designer, you know, so as we are talking about, you know, naming this podcast, and what came to mind, it was just interesting. Because again, this is my first uh, really talk about race and some of what I've been through. Wow, I'm so honored. 
Yeah. So it's interesting. And, you know, to your other question about, you know, having that one person provide all the answers or, you know, a collective, I think the beauty of it all, what is going on in any type of form of education is for people to be able to do their own research and have their own experiences. And of course, yes, you can you can have key people you go to, but you're always going to learn something from someone, you know, whether it's at your company or if you, you go to five yoga studios and work with five practitioners, right? They're all going to teach you something. So I would say just be open to the human experience and what a human can show you, um, you know, and in so many regards, because as I've gone through, you know, a particular wellness journey over the past couple of years, the amount of learning that I have gained from so many individuals is beautiful. And one piece of information wasn't better than the other, it just shaped my path. So you know, be exhaustive in your search, you know, get down and dirty in your feed as if you were stalking, you know, a partner that you'd want to talk to, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, great example, very relatable. <laughs> yeah, really, there's a lot of information out there. And, you know, some people are like, Oh, I'm getting overwhelmed. But you know, limit your time just with anything, limit your screen time, come back, make it a practice to educate yourself in the areas that you want to show up for and learn and invite into your life. And so I think that's, that's really glean that insight from everyone. And that's the message I'd share. Melissa, and the question that I raised that you're pointing to is, I'm noticing that it seems that a lot of people are pointing to the same resources for especially white people to learn about anti-racism work. And I was just wondering, you know, can one person have the answers? And I love how you bring it back to this idea of self-sovereignty. What I would call it is do your own research. Yes, look for recommendations, take workshops that speak to you, but don't expect one resource, one workshop, one webinar to give you all the answers and check the box and go out there and claim yourself to be anti-racist. No, it takes many conversations and ongoing conversations like this one. And something I also wanted to unpack and clarify is earlier in the conversation we talked about, Melissa, you shared your vision of organizing a conference and not saying that it's people of color only, but then inviting only people of color to speak on at the conference. And then you speak about the press you've received not mentioning your race. So how are those different? Well, the conference was for really awareness. It was for the mainstream, what we perceive to be mainstream, the major publications who put on these conversations, these conferences and events to actually realize it, it, it was an awakening for people to really understand, like walk in our shoes. So when we attend your conferences and your events, this is what we're looking at. Um, it was, it's a role reversal, right? And sometimes you really have to see it to have that impact on you. And I still think it would be a very interesting exercise. You know, I'm sure it would get out of hand because people would take it the wrong way. But, you know, for the amount of times that I see leadership conferences and luxury conferences and the CMOs and the X, Y, and Z by these kind almost antiquated uh, publications, I'm like, oh my gosh, like this is embarrassing. I am embarrassed for you. Let's do a role reversal conference and with the same topics that you could speak to. So that was just the thinking for that type of conference. Again, it was, you know, a playful idea, but something that I think could actually happen, not because of, you know, a lack of resources. And then the other part, um, me never being recognized for a race, it's again an observation. I always found it fascinating. And again, I don't know if it's because I never pushed that story, but historically, you know, throughout my life, people have no idea what to do with me because I am in a weird way, not a stereotype that they are expecting. And so I see it because they have a stereotype 
I open my mouth, they hear I speak, they then treat me a different way. They understand that I have a knowledge base, can provide value. And then their stereotype changes again. Perhaps you see my family, an Indian mom, white stepfather, and two sisters who are mixed between that. It is so confusing, so, so confusing, right? And so I've all, it's, I've always um, run into, what are you? Is that your mom? Is that your father? Is that, it's just always been confusing. So race is just, it's always been interesting. And really for so long, I've just been, I've been an observer who has internalized a lot. So to get down to biz and very specific as we actually wrap up. Yep. Would it feel empowering and respectful if, say, in your bio and the description of the podcast, I refer to you as a Black entrepreneur, or is that not necessary? It's interesting. I think I would let you, I'll let you make that decision. <laughs> okay. Because, you know, it's, really for all of this is what is the narrative and does it reflect back to the conversations that we have? You know, yes, it does for this particular conversation. But I think it also, if your audience does also want to understand more then perhaps that it is very appropriate because that, that is who I am. What a powerful way to end this conversation. And I'm so happy we continued recording and so cool to learn about your background. I didn't know that you have so many cultures in your household. And I think it's so fascinating. And yeah, once again, just so grateful and excited to see how you continue sharing your work. And I downloaded your workbook with the seven questions, and I will be sharing that in the show notes, as well as everything else we've talked about. And Looking forward to continuing this conversation, however it's meant to continue, whether that's over a cup of cacao or a matcha latte, we'll see. <laughs> Amazing. Well, again, thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes and share it with a friend who you think could benefit from the message. Find all the show notes and all the resources on WokenWired.com and also join the WokenWired podcast listener Facebook group. It's a private group where you can connect with people who are like-minded and say hello on Instagram. Find me at Woke and Wired. Stay woke, stay wired, and take three deep breaths right now. <laughs>